All right. Well, hello, everybody. Uh, thank you for tuning in today. Um, if you don't know me, my name's David. I'm actually the small groups director here at Severn. Uh, you might recognize me from the super cool announcement videos that play after the service. Uh, but today I have the opportunity to teach. And uh, actually I had a pretty unique situation leading into teaching this week uh, in that we had just finished a series through the Sermon on the Mount, and we haven't started a new series yet. So uh, I had the wonderful opportunity to pick any topic I wanted to teach on, which uh, as fun as that sounds, is actually pretty challenging uh, to come up with, you know, what topic you're going to teach on. And uh, there was one thing that definitely helped narrow it down. There's been something on my mind, on my heart a lot lately. Uh, that is what we're going to talk about today. And uh, that is the topic of unity in the church, uh, specifically what role we have to play in that and really how we are to, to treat each other and interact with each other if we want to be unified. And, uh, and I think the idea of unity is something that um, actually is really something that everybody wants. It's something that... Um, most people want at least, because even outside the church, you see the word uh, divisive is usually not used as a compliment. You know, divisive is usually seen as a negative thing. And um, we have the word united in all kinds of names to try to make it, you know, United States, United Nations. There's, there's this desire for unity out there. And uh, in God's heart for his people, God's heart for, for the church is that we would be unified in such a way that is so unique and so attractive to the world uh, that it actually helps people see that Jesus really is who he said he is. And also to help people see the, and understand the love of God more fully. So if you're listening today and, and you would say you're, you're not sure where you stand with, with church or with Jesus and you're just kind of figuring this thing out, um, this is a great opportunity for you just to hear um, really what the church should be striving to be like and really what the, sh- the church should look like. Because if I had to guess, you may, maybe you haven't seen a lot of unity in the church from your perspective. Um, and this is probably why we have so much instruction on it in God's word. Um, but if you're a believer today and you're part of, the, part of a church, whether it's, whether it's this local church here in Severn, Maryland, or just anywhere, really, uh, this is a great opportunity for us to really press in and realize that uh, we have a role to play in this. Because uh, really, if we want to be a part of a world that's, that's less divided, less at each other's throats, I believe it really has to start with us. So um, to get started here, we're actually going to be in uh, the book of Ephesians. There's a lot of places we could go uh, to talk about unity, but we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. And Ephesians is a, it's a letter that was written... Uh, by the Apostle Paul to the church at a place called Ephesus. And I'm going to read verses uh, 1 through 6 of chapter 4. So I'll go ahead and read that, and we'll get in here. So he says, uh, again, this is Paul talking. He says, Therefore, I, the prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love, diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. So you you may not have noticed, but the very first word of that passage is the word therefore. Uh, And that means that there was something said before this that we have to pay attention to before we just start running through through these verses. So what I want to do real quick is just kind of recap what Paul has been saying so far in this this letter we call Ephesians. So um, he really starts off talking about all that God has done to give us new life. Even though outside of Jesus we're completely hopeless, uh, in chapter 2 we're actually called dead in our sin, in our trespasses, Uh, but because of God's grace and his love and his mercy uh, and through what Jesus has done, we can be made alive. So there's this new life that we have because of Jesus. Um, then Paul goes into talking about this new community, this new society that God is building um, in Jesus where barriers that have been set up for ages between uh, Jews and Gentiles, you know, Jews were God's chosen people and Gentiles were, was everybody else, those barriers are being blown away by Jesus. And then we see 
Uh, Paul talked a little bit about his personal purpose, his personal ministry to actually bring the good news of Jesus to these Gentiles. Again, these people who were previously excluded, previously not considered part of God's family. He's bringing this good news of Jesus to them. And then right at the end of chapter 3, uh, before we get into the, the part we just read, uh, we see Paul praying for, for these believers that he's writing to and praying for us uh, that we would grow in our understanding of God's love. He talks about the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love. And he talks about the love of Jesus that, that surpasses knowledge. So really all through these <clears throat> first three chapters leading up to, to where we just read this, cha- this part of chapter 4, we see Jesus all through it. We see a, a new life that we have in Jesus, a new community that's being formed in Jesus, barriers being broken down uh, because of Jesus. And then we see a prayer that our, our understanding of Jesus' love for us would, would grow and we'd be able to understand it better. Uh, which this actually leads us to our, our first main idea today, <clears throat> and that's that Jesus is the foundation of our unity. And, uh, and I believe this is so important to start with because um, as we look at what this unity we're called to as the church, what it really looks like, and what we're called to as far as the, the oneness that we would, we would have with each other, uh, we pretty quickly can, can realize that we're going to need a, a power greater than ourselves. We're going to need a foundation that's, that's sturdier uh, than just ourselves. And, and that's why I think we have to start with this idea that, that Jesus is the foundation. And um, I do want to get into, you know, what is unity? You know, what is it that we're called to as a, as a church? So what does it mean to be unified? And um, We'll look at a couple aspects of that. We could obviously spend a lot more time on this than just one teaching. Um, but the first aspect uh, I want to point out is just the fact that uh, this unity is one that's made up and involves all kinds of different people. You know, it's not the same thing as uniformity. You know, unity and uniformity, those aren't the same thing. Um, it's made up of all different kinds of people. That's why the church is so often called, um, throughout Scripture, it's called a body. Because, you know, we're, we're one, like a body is one, but we're made up of all kinds of different parts, all kinds of different functions, and those parts look different. And, you know, it's just, it's one, but it's a whole bunch of diversity within the one body. Um, also, we, we see this whenever Jesus, in John 17, he actually prays that all believers would be one. That means all believers across the whole world from all different backgrounds and races and cultures and ethnicities and you know, social statuses, all those people would be one, would be unified. And then obviously earlier in this letter, uh, we see the idea of uh, Jews and Gentiles being made one, which I don't think, I don't think in 2020 that we really fully understand uh, how huge of a deal that was, but it was a huge deal. And so really, no matter, <laughs> no matter what kind of social barriers we like to set up either on purpose or just out of our own you know, preferences, whether it's race or whether it's class or whether it's, you know, white collar, blue collar, or just what part of the world we're from, whatever it is, um, all those are, you know, they still exist. Those differences are not gone, but there's a deeper unity, a deeper foundation that's found in Jesus. And we're actually better off because of these differences um, as we as we really function as one, just like a body's better off because all its parts don't do the exact same thing. Um, and I do want to make a note here that, you know, if you're listening and you know, maybe, again, you're not really sure where you stand with this whole Jesus thing or this whole church thing. Um, I just want to make it really clear that the church is not some exclusive club. You know, it's not some place where you have to look a certain way or come from a certain background to be a part of it. There's really an open invitation to anyone and to everyone to be a part of it through putting your trust in Jesus. Um, so that just want to make sure we make that clear, that it's made up of all kinds of different people who have a foundation in Jesus. Um, but I want to look a little bit at what this unity or what this oneness uh, really looks like kind of on the ground level or in our daily lives. And again, we could spend way more time on this, so don't, don't consider this exhaustive, but this is kind of a brief overview of kind of what we th- see through Scripture. Um, the first is that 
uh, this oneness is a oneness of our possessions. Um, the early church was, was seen as a group of people who um, no one considered their own possessions as if they were their own. They didn't treat them like they were their own, but they were generous, and they made sure that people who were in need were taken care of. Um, and this doesn't mean that you know, we can't have private property. That's not what that's saying. It's saying that we have a, an open-handed generosity with the things we have, with our, with our money, with our possessions, uh, with our time, uh, with our uh, gifts, our energy, whatever it is. We use those generously to build up those around us and to benefit those around us. Um, the second uh, thing I wanted to point out is that it's a oneness in our problems. And what this means is that, you know, whereas a oneness in possessions means we want to extend help to others, a oneness in our problems means we're, we're humble enough and we're willing to admit when we, when we need help, you know, we're willing to accept help so that we can really go through life uh, bearing one another's burdens like we're called to do. So no one's, no one's going through life trying to shoulder the load all by themselves. Uh, next, it's a oneness in truth. And uh, this obviously starts with the idea that, you know, Jesus is the foundation. There, there's a truth there that we hold to. We don't, we don't sacrifice truth for the sake of unity. Uh, but it also means that we speak the truth to one another in love, meaning we're, we're willing to, to be so secure in, in the foundation we have with Jesus that we can speak to one another when we, when we see something that might not be healthy in another person's life, to be able to, you know, out of love, speak the truth to somebody. Um, the last one that I want to point out here is that we're, there's a oneness in failure, meaning that uh, when one of us messes up, when somebody messes up, which we will, um, that there's, uh, we, don't write, we don't write each other off. You know, there's not this cancel culture that we live in today where, you know, you mess up, you're done, and I unfriend you, never want to see you again. Uh, but instead, there's this, um, this driving factor of seeking forgiveness and of seeking reconciliation and, and, and extending forgiveness. So to kind of summarize all that, you know, unity is not this idea that we're all exactly the same or even that we always agree all the time. Because uh, if that was the case, um, we wouldn't need all this advice about how to be unified. Um, but it's really a, it's, what it really is is all kinds of different people with the foundation of Jesus and so secure in that foundation in Jesus that we're able to be generous with our possessions, we're, we're able to ask for help and bear one another's burdens, we're able to speak the truth to one another in love, and we're able to, um, to also forgive and seek reconciliation whenever one of us fails. And I think that's something that, that sounds really good. It sounds you know, like a, a type of community I'd want to be a part of. But I think, you know, all this can kind of beg the question, well, hey, if, you know, if Jesus is the foundation of our unity and we think Jesus was perfect, um, then why do we see so much disunity in the church? I mean, I think that's a, a valid question, but I think the answer is pretty simple. Uh, it's us, you know, people. We're involved in this. And, um, you know, anytime you have people, you're going to have some, some problems. And, and I think that um, not only do we need to proclaim the gospel of Jesus, we have, to, we have to live it out. And I want to reread the first three verses of chapter four here. Um, and just we'll, we'll kind of jump into the next idea here. So again, I'll reread chapter four, verses one through three. It says, therefore, I, the prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love, diligently keeping the unity of the spirit with the peace that binds us. So, uh, so this word used here for, for diligently, and it, it indicates a, uh, I'll just read it here because it's easier to remember. It's just, it means to spare no effort, and it indicates a continual striving and working and giving of everything we have to keep this unity. And this actually brings us to our second main idea today, which is that unity takes work. Because I think when you look at like the type of unity, the type of oneness that we're called to have, it's, it looks good, it's really appealing, but, but we don't naturally operate that way. So how do we live that way? And I think when you look at this passage we're in today, Paul gives us four things, or really four attitudes to have towards one another. 
um, in order to, to function this way, in order to, to have unity. And he lists humility, he lists gentleness, he lists patience, and then acceptance and love, or tolerating one another in love, or bearing with one another in love is that fourth one. And if you really look at all four of those components together, I think what you'd have would be just the ultimate peacemaker, you know, if one person embodied all those things. And, uh, and these are, you know, attributes that would help you in any relationship, not just, you know, ones in the church, but really any relationship you have, because if you really take the time to think about it, um, just imagine a community where everybody you interact with treats you with gentleness and humility and patience and accepts you in love and tolerates you when you need to be tolerated. I just think that sounds amazing. I'd want, I definitely would want to live in that community. Um, so what I want to do is just kind of walk through each of these, these ideas, each of these attitudes, to, so we can more fully understand you know, what they mean and what our role is in this. Um, so the first one is humility. And this is the idea of you know, having a humble opinion of oneself, or another way the Greek word is defined is a deep sense of one's moral littleness. So, so this probably isn't anybody's favorite. It's not one that we're naturally good at, but it's understanding, it says one's, a deep sense of one's moral littleness. So, you know, if you find it hard to admit when you could be wrong about something or, you know, if someone even just insinuates that you could have done something wrong, if that kind of drives you up a wall and makes you real defensive, that could be a, a lack of humility or a lack of understanding, you know, where we stand outside of Jesus. And uh, just so you know, I'm speaking to myself here um, because uh, it doesn't take much more than what I consider to be a false accusation uh, to make me very defensive and angry. And, and I'm talking like literally very small things. Um, when I worked at Nationwide, all it would take would be for someone to tell me, you know, hey, hurry up and send that email I told you to send. Um, and that's all it would take to make me start, um, and whenever I've already sent the email, you know, I, I understand that I've already sent it. They say, hurry up and send it. So I feel, you know, unjustly accused and this false accusation of not sending an email. And, uh, and I could get bitter or be, feel justified in being angry. I uh, want to do, you know, passive aggressive office things like screenshot the previous email I'd sent with a highlighting the timestamp, you know, things that you can do in an office to, to show your anger. Um, but anyways, what's crazy about the gospel is that simple accusations like that I know can drive me up a wall, maybe you can relate, but what's crazy about the gospel is that Jesus willingly took the blame for everything he didn't do. And I think that should, that should humble us, that should humble me, that should humble you, and, and because the reality is the way we become more humble isn't just by trying really hard to be humble or by being self-deprecating, it's by, it's by understanding where we stand without Jesus. Again, chapter 2 in Ephesians talks about how we're dead outside outside of Jesus. We're just, we're dead in our sin, but that because of Jesus, we can be made alive. And uh, there's actually, there's a quote from a, a famous pastor named Charles Spurgeon. Uh, he once said, uh, if any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you are worse than he thinks you to be. And again, that's probably not anybody's favorite quote. It's probably not anyone's senior quote that they put in the yearbook. Um, but it's something that really shows an understanding or a, a humility in grasping really, again, the, the deep sense of, of our moral littleness that we each have outside of Jesus. And um, what that can lead to is us being able to treat other people humbly because we begin to recognize the truth that we're not any better than anyone else. Because I think it really is, it doesn't make sense that uh, a reputation that Christians have that we've earned is that we, we look down on others and we judge others and we, we think we're better than others. And that's not every Christian, but that's a reputation we've basically earned as the church whenever what we say we believe, really the core belief we have, is that it took the death of the Son of God to redeem us. You know, that's the state we're in outside of Jesus, that it took the death of Jesus to pay the price for what we've done. And I think that should, that should always leave us humble, always leave us humbled in times where we start to feel our pride rise up in us. 
Uh, the second idea here, the second uh, attitude to have really to, to really have unity with each other is gentleness. And I think this idea could be misunderstood as like a weakness or a timidness, maybe, you know, avoiding uh, the hard conflict or avoiding hard conversations. Uh, but this, the word used for gentleness here is actually all through the, the New Testament and, and several times is actually used when, when referencing um, confronting someone or correcting someone, you know, or restoring a relationship with someone who's committed an offense or even providing a defense for what you believe. So, so really this is uh, kind of the opposite of avoiding the hard things. Gentleness is the attitude we have to take with us into the hard things and into the hard conversations uh, if we really want the person on the other side of us to be able to hear what we're saying. Because um, I don't know about you, but I think you know, personally it, it, is, it becomes a lot harder to hear what someone's saying when they become harsh and biting in their language in any kind of conversation or just you know, attacking or anything along those lines, whereas if we really want someone to hear what we're saying, even if we think we're 100% right, we should come with gentleness. And that doesn't mean there's no room for, for passion in a conversation, but just the idea that we can, we can still be passionate but be gentle with our words. And again, the way we get better at this, it's not by you know, simply trying to be more gentle, it's by understanding how gentle God has been with us. And that even though he has all the power, literally infinite power, has all the knowledge, he's always 100% right, uh, he still chose to come down and to live among us as one of us, as Jesus, and, and speak a human language, which we could understand or at least translate to understand, and then die for us. And not only that, but the way that God, once you have a relationship with Jesus, the way that God slowly brings us along one step at a time, like a father you know, teaching their kid to walk, he's very gentle with us. So I think that's, that's what then instills us to, to be more gentle with others when we recognize God's gentleness towards us. Uh, the next one is, is patience, and this is uh, really the idea of being long-suffering, uh, being steadfast or constant. I really like the, um, a definition I heard from one pastor. He said, uh, patience is the ability to face unexpected, painful, and difficult things uh, without being derailed or erupting. Um, and I think that's just you know, something we all need in, in a heavy dose. Um, but again, the way we grow in that is not just by trying really hard to be patient. It's by recognizing how patient God has been with us. And um, I think probably the easiest way to learn this lesson, at least in my own life, it's not the only way to learn it, excuse me, is um, it's by having kids. Um, I have a three-and-a-half-year-old daughter and a one-and-a-half-year-old son. And uh, the amount of patience it takes <laughs> to raise children as they uh, you know, directly disobey you and endanger their own life and, uh, and shorten your life um, with the emotional and physical danger they put you in, um, the amount of patience it takes to raise kids pales in comparison to, you know, to the amount of patience uh, that God shows us and that God has shown me. Because I mean, I know that even just like another personal example, you know, I can consider myself to be a quick learner, but, but when it comes to things that God is teaching me, I feel like sometimes it takes me forever. Like the important things that God's trying to teach me, it takes me forever to really get it. And then once I think I've actually understood it or am, am practicing it, then I realize I still don't get it. So it's just, you know, bottom line is that God has been infinitely patient with me. So how can I not then extend that to others? And then the last one that Paul mentioned is the, the word, you know, accepting one another in love, which that word can also be translated bearing with one another or um, tolerating one another. Um, and I actually love that, that this one's on the list because it really speaks into our reality. You know, along with patience, uh, having the idea of accepting or tolerating one another in this list really helps show that this idea of unity in the church is not some, you know, pie in the sky, unrealistic, naive idea. What's being said here is that hey, if any group of people are going to be unified, if any group of people are going to be one, they're going to need to be able to bear with one another. There's going to be a lot of that that's needed in those kinds of relationships. And um, I don't think anyone would argue with that. 
Um, but if you did argue with that, you would actually be proving the point. <laughs> but um, I'll just laugh at my own jokes. I'm in an empty room, so hopefully you can bear with that. Um, but that means that, um, you know, in reality, the only way we're going to grow in that is, again, not by just trying really hard to accept people. It's going to be by realizing how we've been accepted by God. Um, and that it's because of something that, not that we did, not because we had a good personality or we're really likable, but we're accepted, 100% fully accepted because of what Jesus has done. And because our acceptance doesn't depend on our merit, that means we can't lose it because it's on Jesus' merit that we're accepted. But maybe you're, you know, maybe you're listening to all this and you're thinking, hey, that sounds really nice, or maybe you're thinking that sounds really difficult, sounds naive, sounds unrealistic. Maybe you just feel like you're too busy for this kind of thing, you know, to live in unity with other people. Um, but here's the thing, and this is actually our, our last main idea today, is that for the Christian, uh, unity is not optional. And I want to reread the last uh, three verses here in chapter four, that, the section that we were in, so verses four through six. <clears throat> it says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. So the, uh, the word one is used seven times in those three verses. So if nothing else, as we come away from those verses, uh, we should recognize that being one is pretty important. And the reality is the, the language here, if you look at it again, it says there is one body, which again, that's referencing the church. That's referencing all believers. We're one body. Um, just like there's one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. So the reality is that we are one. And the, the question just becomes, are we going to act like it? Are we going to really act like we're unified, like we really already are. We already are one body. So since, um, <clears throat> since unity is clearly something that we can't opt out of as Christians, as the church, um, I did want to spend a little bit of time here just talking about some practical things that we can do to really participate in the role that we have um, in you know, working towards unity. And um, really the, the, first, the first one that I wanted to point out, we've kind of been talking about uh, we've kind of been talking about the whole time. It's really just the idea of um, really getting the gospel just deeper into our hearts, deeper into our minds, really saturating ourselves in the, in the good news of what Jesus has done for us and growing in our understanding of, of what God's love is like for us. Because, again, that's how we grow in these things that we've gone through here. And that's how we grow in, in humility and in gentleness and in patience and in being able to, to accept one another in love. It's through understanding how God loves us. Because... Really, at the end of the day, um, to be able to be freed up to live like this, to really be able to be freed up to live in unity with other people who are so different than us, uh, we have to have both, both of these things. We have to have an acute and humble awareness of our shortcomings so that we can never look down on other people or treat them like we're better than them. Um, but also we have to have a complete confidence in the acceptance that we have in Jesus, which means that you know, not only are we, we humble and, and able to treat other people humbly, but we're also not so insecure that we feel like we have to become defensive or we can't hear feedback, we can't hear input into our lives because we have this confidence in what Jesus has done for us. So we can, we can be both. We can be humble and we can be confident at the same time. And that's how we really operate in this lane. And really this, this way, you know, the idea of saturating yourself in the gospel, that can look a million different ways. But it's probably going to include you know, something like reading God's word, talking to friends about what you're learning. You know, talk to your friends about Jesus, about what they think, and, and let them know what you're learning or what you're thinking about him. You know, take time to listen to podcasts, read books. Like it can really be, listen to music. You know, it could be a million different things, but it's something we never grow out of, and it's something that we need to 
really continually practice on a daily basis so that the gospel is always on the forefront of our minds. So again, the first thing is to, to really keep getting the gospel deeper into our hearts. But the, the second thing I wanted to, to kind of encourage you to do is just a little bit of self-inventory. You know, and you can bring a friend into this as well. But just ask yourself these two questions. You know, ask a friend these questions so they can speak into your life about them. But the first one is just, what am I actively doing to promote unity in the church? You know, what are you actively doing to diligently promote unity? Have you taken just kind of a passive approach to it, you know, hoping it would happen, or are you actively doing anything about it? I mean, the second one is, you know, am I doing anything or not doing anything that might be causing disunity? And I think it's important you think about these yourself, but then to also, again, ask a friend because of the fact that they might see things that you don't see. Whether it's, you know, you have good intentions, but your actions are having a different result, your friend might be able to speak into that and speak truth into your life. So those are two questions we can always be asking, always be asking ourselves, be letting other people speak into our lives about. And then the last thing, last practical thing is, is more of a mindset than like an action item. But um, it's no secret that, that as human beings, we are experts at creating these, you know, us versus them mentalities. You know, we're experts at that. And, you know, it doesn't matter if it's politics or sports or, you know, you can form cliques at your job. You know, businesses do it in ads. You know, it's just we're, we're experts at this idea of us versus them. And uh, there, there's really no way to sugarcoat it, but that's something that we can't afford to adopt in the church. Because we we're experts at that in the church, just like everywhere else, you know, us versus them. And uh, that's just, it's destructive. You assume the worst in others whenever you take that sort of mindset. Uh, really, in the church, what it has to be, it has to be a mindset of we. You know, hey, we are in this together. We have a foundation in Jesus, and we don't always agree on everything, but we're going to work through it. And I think that, that type of commitment to one another, uh, it's not common, uh, but, you know, from, from God's own word, that, that's something that that type of commitment, that type of oneness in a community that looks like that, has the power to point a watching world to a God who loves them. And, and that's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. And uh, to, to close out, I wanted to actually read us something out of John 17. This is uh, pretty cool. We actually have a, a prayer that Jesus prayed for us. Uh, for anyone who puts their, their faith in Jesus, he prays for us here in John 17, uh, verses 20 through 23. Um, and initially he was praying for his, his 12 disciples who were with him here on earth. And then he goes to pray, and you'll see here, he starts to pray for anyone who would believe. Um, So I'm going to read that real quick here. He says, I pray not only for these, meaning his disciples, but also for those who believe in me through their message. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be one in us, so the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me. May they be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they be made completely one, so the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So I just think it's, an, it's incredible that Jesus, you know, his heart for us is that we would be one. And that's, again, it's not just the local church. That's all believers worldwide. Obviously, that should be lived out in the local church as well. Um, but I think it's so incredible, the result, he says there. He says, so that they may believe that, really, that, that he is who he says he is, that God sent him, that he is God's son. And that's so they can really see the, the love of God lived out in a community of people. So, so I would just encourage you, know, encourage you all as we, we leave here today, hey, if you're, if you're someone who's still on the fence, not really sure what you think about church, um, again, I just want to say this is, church is not some exclusive club that's only for a certain kind of person. It's really not. Sometimes it looks that way. Sometimes as a part of the church, we do a really bad job of letting people know that's not what it is, but it's really not some exclusive club. It's, there's an open invitation to all different kinds of people from all different walks of life to put their trust in Jesus. That's the foundation that unifies us. 
But then if you, again, if you are a believer, if you're part of a church, I just encourage you, this is something that, that's not optional. It's not something that we can you know, expect people to figure out um, if we're not even unified as the church. Um, so I'd encourage you to, to really just take some time to, to dive into how much Jesus loves us and to dive into this passage. Read, read Ephesians for yourself and, and just take some time to, to self-examine and, and work through this and work through it with friends, you know, in community with other people. Um, but that's, you know, that's Jesus' prayer for us. That's my prayer for us as a church, you know, both locally and, and globally. And um, I appreciate you guys tuning in today and listening, but that's all I got for you. And uh, can't wait to see you all in person uh, very soon. I'm very excited about that. Uh, but that's all, and thanks.